As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to episode 11 of I Am Steve R. And I am Steve R. This is going to be a very, very, very important show. They're all very important, but this is the one that kind of separates the sheep from the goats in many respects. If you have listened to the earlier shows, you know, I talked some about my own experience and we've begun to kind of take a journey through the 12 steps together. You know, steps one, two, and three are things, to be honest with you, you can kind of BS a little bit. There's, you know, it's, it's really more of an acknowledgement, more so than any action. It is a belief. But when we get to the fourth step, and this becomes a stumbling block for many people that are new to recovery, because this one actually requires some real effort. It's not as simple as saying, yeah, okay, listen, my life is, is a mess. I do believe there is a God, and, and I'll, I'll turn my, my, the care and will of my life over to that, to that, that deity or that higher power. And so if you have stayed with me through this already, you know, if, you, if you've been able to kind of hang in here and say, you know what, yeah, this makes sense to me, I need you to really pay special attention today. Because I'm going to take you through the fourth step, which is very, very difficult. It is very, very painful. But it is also one of the most beneficial things you will ever do in your life. I encourage people that aren't in recovery to consider doing a four-step because it is that beneficial. When you get to the end of it, there is this sense of relief that is difficult to describe. Number one, you're actually doing the deal. But number two, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. Because by this point, you have acknowledged you have a problem, you have been restored to sanity, and you have established a connection with a higher power. So now we're ready to really begin to kind of do the autopsy on our own lives. And so with all the earnestness at our command, to borrow a phrase, we're going to take as much time as we need to today to fully explain the fourth step and the benefits of every bit of it. Now, the first thing that I will tell you is you're going to need a pen and paper. And you're also going to need some privacy. And you're also going to need to give yourself a little time. One of the first things that I encourage everybody to do when they get ready to do a four-step is to be in a spirit of prayer and meditation in the days leading up to it. Now, whether you believe in God or Buddha or whatever, Allah, whatever, it makes no difference to me. But you need to do some spiritual groundwork before you begin this undertaking. Because it is that serious. 
And one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to kind of reach out to your higher power and say, hey, listen, higher power, I need your strength, I need your understanding, and I need your guidance to make it through this. Because I don't really want to keep any of this garbage with me. So get a pen and paper. I would encourage you to get a notebook so you don't have this loose paper hanging around somewhere that somebody can get. Get something that you can kind of keep securely because we're going to write this fourth step basically with the understanding that no one else is ever going to read it. It is for an audience of one, and that is for yourself. Step four in and of itself is very, very straightforward. It's very simple. Very, very, very simple. There are so many of these other things that are kind of up room for interpretation. Not really so with the fourth step. Let's read step number four, and uh, I will do it for you so we don't have to read it together. Step four says, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So what exactly does that mean? Well, the first thing, searching, means that we are going to exhaust the full resources of our mental capacity to get all of the trash out. One of the things that I've learned through the writing process, book number four for me comes out in June. There is some recovery wisdom in that one as well, but it is not per se a recovery book. It's kind of a catch-all book, kind of a potpourri book. Got some poems in it, got some recovery stuff in it, got some personal uh, short story type stuff in it. But the thing that I have learned is that I've got to write every day. And so by writing every day, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be on our website or whether it be on documents that I never share with anybody else, i got to write every day to sharpen the saw, but also, too, to take out the trash. Because as a writer, you probably write more things you never publish than you actually put out there for public consumption. And so you need to kind of get into the process of writing every day because what's going to happen is you begin to detail this inventory out and you take some trash out, the more you dig, the more you're going to find. That's why the the, the whole part about being searching. You've got to be willing at this point to say, you know what, I'm going to dig down deep here and I'm going to get deep into the closet. I'm going to get every skeleton out of there. I'm going to get everything down, every metatarsal of my mental anguish out of that dadgum closet. And I'm going to depend on my higher power to lead me through that. The next part of it is fearless. Fearless. That's a a powerful word. Because we as alcoholics and people of chemical dependency, we have a little problem with the word fear. Because it dominates our lives. Whether we want to admit it or not, much of our problems with drugs and alcohol stem from fear. And so if we're going to be fearless in our endeavor here, we're going to have to say, okay, listen, I'm going to write all this stuff down with the understanding that no one else is ever going to read this. I'm not going to hold anything back. Because when you take half-measured efforts, you're only hurting yourself. And there is power in writing these things down. I took a Franklin Covey planning class years ago to change my life. And one of the things they taught me is that, you know, there is, there is a lot of power in simply writing things down and then scratching them off because it frees your mind up to focus on other things. And so if I've got some fear or resentments or some issues, you know, from even from back in grade school or middle school or high school or college or whatever, as I begin to write those things down, they no longer are up there swimming around in my mind. 
And so the things that are a little bit darker and the things that are a little bit deeper and the things that perhaps I don't want to talk about with friends, those things begin to rise to the surface and I can eradicate them too. Because there are a lot of things out there that you just kind of float along the surface and kind of muddy the water a little bit. And we're kind of okay with that because it, it covers up our de- deepest and darkest secrets. And so there is a saying in our fellowship that I am very much a supporter of. It says, we are only as sick as our secrets. Now, even at nearly 30 years of sobriety, there are times that I have secrets. And that is old behavior for me. You know, that's the thing about living in the throes of addiction is that everything around us is a lie, right? I mean, we keep so many secrets from the people we love because we think we're fooling everybody. And so our lives become compacted with all of these secrets and these burdens that we carry. And so all of a sudden, when you begin to free yourself of those things, there is true freedom. There is true live and let live. There is true being able to tell the truth and not having to remember how you told it freedom that's a powerful thing it is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is being able to go through life not worried about hey what if somebody finds this out what if i've done this or been in this relationship or what if i've stolen something at work and you got to carry those burdens around when you don't have to live underneath that burden there is true joy in living and so i say those things because i want to make sure that you fully appreciate the benefit of what we're about to do with this searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So you can go online and there are four-step worksheets out there that are very, very easy. Now, I was old school. You know, we didn't have the worksheets, you know, back when I was around. You know, the internet didn't exist when I got sober. And so unless they've got, they had them at the AA house or whatever, you basically just got a notebook out and you put it at the top of the list. You said, okay, well, these are these are this and this and this and this and this and you made columns and you you kind of did it the old-fashioned way so you don't have to have the worksheets but they're they're available online and they make it very easy to kind of keep your four-step organized so i'm going to encourage you to use those worksheets because they are very very beneficial if you can't get to them or you just don't want to do it that way if you're hard-headed and say you know what steve i'll do it my way okay fine do it your way but I would encourage you to get a notebook out and then carry it with you. And maybe you can't carry it into work or whatever, or maybe you've got to leave it at home, or maybe it's better, you've got some journaling time to do or whatever. But I, I believe in keeping it handy so as I think of things, I can write them down, and then that, again, gets them off my mind. I don't have to continue to kind of have that thing bouncing around all day long thinking, when I get home, i got to write this thing down. And we, we live in such a world of technology You know, maybe you send a text message to yourself. Maybe you put it in the notes on your phone. There are ways for you to do that to kind of free your mind up. And so with that understood, let's talk about what we're going to do in our fourth step. So there are basically four categories of things that we're going to to kind of investigate here. The first one is resentment. Now, there is also a saying in AA that said resentment is just like peeing down your leg. You're the only person that feels it. Truer words have never been spoken. I love the expression, too, is having a resentment. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just doesn't work that way. So resentment is one of those things that leads to us drinking. It also robs us of our serenity. Even if we are not drinking, even if we are dry, or even if we are relatively sober, 
You know, maintaining resentments is something that is poison for the soul. That's one of the reasons that I think it's the first category. So we're going to take here, we're going to make get our worksheet out, and it's going to say resentments, and there's going to be little columns depending on which one you use. And we're going to write down every resentment we've ever had. Every one of them. Throughout our entire lives. Because this whole disease of alcoholism, this disease of chemical dependency, this disease of self, didn't just begin when you became a problem drinker or drug user or whatever. There are underlying issues that have plagued you your entire life that made you begin to feel that alcohol and or drugs was the only way you could cope with those things. So we're going to get to those things with this four step. There is the, uh, I don't know who came up with the, of course these percentages are all, uh, you know, approximate. But I've read before it says, you know, drinking and using is only 15% of our problem. The other 85 is our character defects. That's what the four step does for us. The fourth step allows us to kind of identify these defects and begin to kind of work a program recovery to put them behind us. Resentments are a killer for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to have these categories, and we're going to write down any resentment we ever had for any person, whether that be a parent, whether that be a sibling, whether that be a wife or a husband or a child or a boss or whoever, any person that we hold a resentment against, we're going to write that down. And there's going to be some other details you're going to write down based on whichever worksheet you use. You're going to talk about, you know, when this happened, what, what's, my, what's my fault in this? Because at the end of the day, it's easy for us to blame other people for our problems. Now, there are some people out there that have truly been victimized. There are a lot of people that have been abused physically, emotionally, sexually. There are some people who are true victims. Many of us are volunteers. But there are some people that have those things through no fault of their own. They have been victimized. There are going to be other situations and resentments that we have, and it's more about ego. Well, I didn't get what I want, so I resent this person. And so you're going to get involved in all that, and you're beginning to write all those things down. Then we're going to have our resentments about, um, you know, places or events, you know, people, places, things. Anybody or anything that you hold a resentment against, whether they be family-related, work-related, relationship-related, school-related, friendship-related, anything like that, we're going to write it down. That was one of those things, too. The longer that I got into this thing, the more that I realized, you know, there were a lot of people that I held resentments against that I didn't fully appreciate. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go out and confront all these people. It doesn't mean we're going to go out there and say, hey, you know what, I became an alcoholic because of you because of your bad parenting, because you didn't love me enough. That's not the focus here. The focus is for us to identify these issues in our own lives and say, you know what, this has taken up space in my life for too long. And so I'm going to write these things down. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take, take them out of my mind, and I'm going to put them on this paper, and I'm going to acknowledge, you know what, I resent this person, and here's why. And I'm going to encourage you to be very, very, very honest. As honest with this as you have ever been about anything. Because, again, this is for us. This is not a book report. This is not something we're going to turn in. Uh, The home office of AAA is not interested in you sending it in. There's nobody out there that's going to hold you accountable to this. And so it's up to you. And this, again, is something you're doing for yourself. If you're truly tired of living with these resentments, you're going to do what I ask you to do here. 
And that's to be brutally honest about the resentments you have. And there are going to be some things you're going to, like the longer you get to it, you're going to say, you know, I got, I got a little resentment about this. You know, there's one time I met you and you told me this or you said that or you lied to me, whatever. And so I'm going to write that down. Now, some people, some of those resentments, we feel that we are somewhat um, entitled to have. And so, you know what? I had a bad childhood. You know, I had a parent that didn't do this or I had a parent that didn't do that. Okay, well, how long are we going to continue to hang on to that? We don't live in that house anymore. And yes, we may have to have a relationship with our parents, but, uh, you know, we are now happy, joyous, and free. And so you can continue to hang on to that resentment if you want to, but it's going to rob you of your joy. So we're going to write all those things down, and we're going to be glad that we did it because it is going to be very freeing for us to acknowledge the fact that I resent this person, and here's why. You know, as I got deeper into this thing, and I began to kind of, okay, well, like, there's some things, too, we have to be honest with ourselves, and we, we've kind of got to be honest with ourselves, and there's no kind of to it. We have to be honest with ourselves about where our parents may have failed us. Now, that's not to say that we had bad parents. Our parents are human beings that just simply did the best they could. And I can promise you, they look back over their lives and there are things that say, you know what, I wish I'd have done this a little bit better. And so if you hold those resentments, you can say, you know what, uh, you know, my dad loved my sister more than me. Whether that's true or not, it's your reality. So write it down. Write it down. Get it out. The next thing we're going to work on is fear. Now, there is an acronym for fear that is kind of PG-13, and there's one that's uh, rated R. So we're going to use the PG-13 one that says fear stands for forget everything and run. You can fill in the blank for the rated R version. When you get sober, it says for face everything and recover. And so a lot of our fears are the things that kind of lead us to uh, seeking the comfort of chemical dependency, right? And that's kind of a, a misnomer, right? But we sought remedy and we sought asylum in drugs and alcohol. It's like, well, I'm worried. I have this fear of rejection. I have this fear of failure. I have this fear of intimacy. So rather than deal with that, I'm just going to go get loaded because I don't have to deal with it then. And there are a lot of people that say, you know what? I love this person. I'd love to be intimate with them, whether it be emotionally or physically or whatever. And maybe it's just easier to have some social lubricant to make that happen. And so all of a sudden, we, we begin to equate some of that dysfunction, you know, with alcoholism. And how, wouldn't it be great to have a healthy relationship free of fear, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful just to have a loving, caring partnership or relationship where I'm not fearful that this person's going to leave me? And so anything that you're scared of, I don't care if it's snakes or spiders, uh, you know, or people with long hair and tattoos, whatever it is that it is eating your lunch, whatever it is that you are fearful of, write it down. And it's not just right now. You can go back and say, you know what? You know, when I was a kid, these are the things that scared me. These are the things that I worried about as a child. You know, I was fearful that my parents may divorce. I was fearful that I, you know, might die in a plane crash. So any of your fears that you had your entire life, you write them down. Not just the fears of today. And we all have them, right? And it's one of those things, too, that, you know, it's probably probably took me 20 to 25 years. And maybe you won't be the slow learner that I was. 
But I no longer live with fear because I know that I'm going to be okay. I know that if I don't drink and use today and I keep a conscious contact with my higher power and I work my program, I'm going to be okay. I might die tomorrow, but I'll die sober. But when young in recovery, I was fearful of everything. You know, uh, was I ever going to be able to accomplish anything in life? Would I ever write a book? Would I ever be able to buy a brand new car? Would I ever be able to buy a house? I was fearful of all those things. Because when you're young and you're kind of trying to get established in life, it's easy to get caught up in the world of fear. And it's everywhere around us. I mean, you've got, you know, there's always people on TV and there's all this media. I mean, it's just like anything, like even this COVID virus we're dealing with now, there are people that trade in fear. And so nothing's ever good enough. Just when you think, okay, we've topped this hill. We're going to do this. We're going to do, oh, well, now, now listen, you got to worry about this. And there are some people in your life, and you know these people well, no matter what you've accomplished, whatever you've done, there's always something else to worry about around the corner. That's how they live life. They're crisis junkies. They live for it. That's not us. We can't afford to live that way. And so we're going to write all these fears down about our past and about our present, and then also, too, things that we may fear about our future. You know, I may fear that I may never find true love. I may fear that I may never get married. I may fear that I may never be a parent. I may fear that I may never reconnect with my children. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As we begin to move forward with that, I want to share a story with you that God laid on my heart. It was a speaking engagement that I had several years ago. One of those kind of random things, too. It's like somebody called me one day and said, hey, Steve, we'd love to have you come speak. And I'm like, okay, where's it going to be? And then like, just kind of went haphazardly over there. But I never turn those opportunities down because I never know when I'm going to get a gift. Because it's, it's so special to me to be able to share my story. And to share what AA has done in my life and to share what God has done in my life. I'm always so appreciative to have the opportunity to go share these things. And there was this young lady there. I say young lady. She was probably in her 70s. And she looked really out of place in a recovery meeting. And I'm thinking, well, she's probably some old timer. You know, she's probably a lady that, you know, probably the grandmom of the group. Somebody's been in recovery 20, 30, 40 years 
and is there to make sure that everybody we have the cakes once a month we had the big party and the chips are all ordered and we got the coffee made but no she wasn't she had about six months of sobriety she was a recovering drug addict it blew me away to see her and to learn her story so after i spoke and there i am long-haired and dreadlocked and everything else being so irreverent and she comes up to me after the speaker meeting and i don't say this to praise anything about myself just to kind of share with you this about about fear and she begins to talk to me and she begins to cry and she puts her hand on my arm and i look around the room and everybody else is crying this is the first time this lady had opened up to anybody they had tried and tried and tried in group they had tried and tried in one-on-one counseling to get her to talk openly but for some reason she saw me and thought you know what he won't judge me and she was absolutely correct i won't judge her or you or anybody else because i can promise you the things that you think well i have done these things nobody could ever forgive me for i have done them too they just don't dominate my life anymore so as she began to talk she told me this amazing story it is one of the saddest stories that i have ever heard in my life so her and her husband were in a car accident he died she didn't very very injured then on top of that she had to deal with the grief of burying her husband and she got addicted to pain pills very very simple and not only did she use the pain pills to kind of medicate her physical pain she used it to medicate herself to deal with the emotional and mental pain of losing her husband and she eventually went through her children's inheritance she spent it all on narcotics going around drug seeking going to all these doctors and that's the thing too is all these doctors i mean they, they hold some responsibility too but at the same time they all felt so bad for her, everybody's like well look at what all she's gone through just give her a medicine just give her a medicine not realizing they were killing her and she turned to me after telling me this story and she says steve how can i make this right with my children how can i ever make it up to them that i have spent their inheritance on narcotics and i shared with her then and i share with you now your family just wants you back they can live without the money they're all self-sufficient your girls are all married they've all got husbands and they're all supporting themselves and while the inheritance would have been nice maybe you could put in a pool or pay for a college education and it's not to say that it's insignificant because it very much is but they want you back they would rather have their mom back than have the inheritance they would rather have grandma back than have the inheritance they would rather have grandma be at the parties and thanksgiving and easter and have her be whole and have her resume her role as the matriarch in the family that's what they want they don't want the dadgum money they want you your family right now and i'm speaking to you not this way i'm speaking to you right now your family and those that love you want you back but she was fearful that she could never be forgiven and there's a little voice in your head that says oh well you know they're never going you're never going to make that right every time they're always going to look at you they could have had bigger christmases and you know what none of that matters it means nothing so 
we're going to write all that stuff down too. Because I can assure you that the majority of you don't have a story as sad and pitiful as that one. And so if this young lady can go through her recovery and go through her four-step and get to the other end of this thing and be able to look her children in the eyes and say, you know what, I made a mistake, but I'm, I'm going to do my best to make it up to you with my love. And the last that I heard, she's still clean and sober. Still. And God bless her, man. I can't begin to imagine the pain and anguish that she has had to feel. To bury your spouse, to go through all this physical torment yourself, and then all the mental anguish that goes along with spending every dime you ever saved that you were hoping to retire with and give it to your children. Had to move in with one of her daughters. So don't sit here and tell me, well, Steve, you don't understand. Or Steve, you know what, I've done so many horrible things, there's no way that I could ever move on from this. That's a lie you're telling yourself. Don't do it. So we're going to move on from fear, and we're going to get into a topic that is very, very controversial for many people. And this is one that a lot of people want to kind of BS their way through. And this is one of the most important things you're ever going to do in your life. Okay? So let's give it our full attention. Let's give it our best effort. We've talked about resentment. We've talked about fear. Now we're going to talk about our sexual conduct. You're thinking, wait a minute, Steve, I don't have a problem with that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It is in our DNA. Now, one of the reasons that the sexual conduct portion of the fourth step is so important is because much of our self-worth is wrapped up in that. How we view ourselves, what we think we deserve, is all kind of wrapped up in how we act out sexually. You can say, well, still, I didn't come here for that. Well, this is what you're getting. And this is what you've got to be honest about. There, this is where a lot of shame and guilt comes in. Shame and guilt are basically the bonds that hold many of us in the pit of chemical dependency. Shame and guilt. Things we've done, things we didn't do, mistakes we made, people we hurt. And if we don't free ourselves of them by being honest, we're going to remain in that pit. What does it profit us to be clean in the pit, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, okay, well, I've done these other things. I did my fear and resentments, but I'm just going to stay down here with my shame and guilt. It's ridiculous. Half measures avail us nothing. So as we begin to go through this sexual conduct portion of our four-step, and this is where you got to be really careful. This is why you've always got to protect your four-step. Protect your journal, protect your notebook, what are your worksheets, whatever you're working with. Because you're going to be 100% honest with this. If that means that you raped somebody, you're going to write it down. If that means you had an affair with somebody, you're going to write it down. If that means you cheated with your best friend's wife, you're going to write it down. Because the reason we're going to write it down is we are moving that trash from our mind to our paper. Now, eventually, we're going to burn this thing, okay? We're not going to leave it laying around, leave the evidence laid around in some closet somewhere for some kid to find or, you know, some prying spouse or whatever or some future relationship. So, eventually, we're going to burn this thing, okay? So, let me give you some assurances with that. 
So once we get up, we get through. We got we got some more things we got to do with the four step today, and we got some more things to do with the four step in in the next show. Okay, so eventually we're going to burn this. You need to keep us in a safe place because remember this is a searching and fearless moral inventory. And here's the thing too: you did it, you own it. You did it, you own it because. The secrets that we keep are what keep us sick, right? So we're going to write these things down and we're going to acknowledge that we did them. That doesn't mean that we're going to go up here before a court and go confess. But we're going to write these things down and acknowledge. So you know what? This sexual dysfunction in my life was a problem. And so I'm going to move forward with this. And I'm going to acknowledge that I did it. And this is the thing, too. I know so many people, they do make so many mistakes. So, well, I got drunk one night and I did this and I did that. You know what? Write it down. Write it down. Free yourself of the bondage of that. Write it down. And say, say Steve, you don't understand. I slept with all my friends' girlfriends. I don't care. Write it down. Steve, I slept with my boss. Write it down. Write it down. Now, there's so much of this, too, because let me just go ahead and explain it to you as easy as I can. Every one of us has sexual baggage. All of us do. We all do. All of us have made mistakes when it's come to our sex lives. Some of their their mistakes have been fidelity. Some of them are relationships we should never have been involved in. Some of them may be complete sexual dysfunction, maybe, maybe perversion. And you know what? Write it down. Write it down. And so as we begin to work through that, we talk about insecurity, we talk about mistakes we've made, we talk about the shame and guilt we put in our own lives because we are our own worst enemies. Because here's what happens, and let's be honest. We go to a club, and before we even leave the house, most of us are thinking, you know what, I want to go out here and have a good time and go home with somebody. Whether we admit that now or we admit it later, it's true. We went to have a shining new memory. I'm going to go out there and get drunk and hopefully find somebody else of the opposite or in some cases the same sex that is as equally as intoxicated as I am that will become a willing partner in what amounts to basically mutual masturbation. It's not a loving and emotional connection. It's not. It's a means to an end to fill a physical need. It is a means to an end to make us feel better about ourselves. And if you don't think that is one of the reasons you drink, you are kidding yourself. If you don't think that's one of the reasons you go out and do drugs, you're kidding yourself. And then what happens, it becomes this perpetual cycle, right? It's like I go to the bar and I think, man, all I really deserve is that bar fly. I really wanted to date this girl from church. I really wanted to date this girl from work. I really wanted to date this girl for whoever. I really thought this guy was really cute from my apartment building and he's a professional and he's working, doing a great job. But what happens is, is in our back of our mind, we think, you know what, I'm not good enough for that person. I'm not good enough, so let me take what I can get. Let me go out here and drink something and lower my inhibitions and just find somebody to like me, just find, just for a little while, somebody that will make me feel better about me. Maybe they'll love me for about an hour or so, and then I'm good for a week or so or two weeks or whatever. And then all of a sudden we sober up and thinking, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Why in the world did I sleep with that person? Oh, my gosh, I've wrecked my life. Well, you haven't. But what happens, it becomes this, you know, it becomes this burr in a saddle. 
Then all of a sudden we're thinking, well, that's just what I deserve. I'll, all I deserve are these bar flies. All I deserve are these, you know, playboys that are out here just using women because that's all that I think that I'm worth. And so we're going to write all that stuff down. That's, again, that's why I tell you, you have to, be, have to guard your four-step because this is going to be the one document that could really wreck, wreck a lot of things, right? If we're doing it correctly, it could be absolute kryptonite. It absolutely could. It could be absolutely explosive. It could be so wild you need a hazmat suit to hold it. That's how you know you're doing a good four-step. If you're doing a four-step and you're not worried about somebody finding it, then you're not doing a good four-step. You have got to put all of this on record. And again, we're going to burn it. Once we've acknowledged it, there's going to be some things that we have to do, and then we're going to burn it. But not yet. The next thing on the list is harm that we have done to others. Now, this encompasses a lot of people. And this, again, this goes back to the very beginning. You know, one of the things that I wrote down on my four-step is when I was five years old, I stole a pack of Mork and Mindy cards from McClellan's when I was out shopping with my grandmother. That's what I did. She wasn't looking. Of course, there weren't cameras back then. Nobody was around. I just grabbed them, put them in my back pocket, took them home, and opened them up, and I played with them, and then I eventually got caught. Hey, where'd you get those? Oh, well, I found them. Well, no, you didn't find them. You stole them. I was in trouble. But I wrote that down. It's harm to others. I mean, those people at McClellan's worked hard and built a business, and uh, next thing I know, I'm in there stealing their stuff at five years old. You say, Steve, I mean, give yourself a break. No. No, this is not the time to give yourself a break. This is a time to do a fearless, a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourselves. And so I wrote it down. Because these behaviors become repetitive. Because I don't know if you know this, you know, the, one of the last, what I went to jail for is that I broke into some stores out in the country and I robbed them too. I burglarized those stores. And so the genesis of that feeling of self-entitlement where I felt that I was kind of above the law, the rules didn't apply to me, that I could take this stuff and not pay for it, the roots of that went back long before I decided to get in the car and go burglarize somebody's store. And so it's important that let's be as searching and thorough as we can with this. Harm to others could be a spouse. Maybe we have physically abused them. Maybe we have emotionally abused them. Maybe we have sexually abused them. Maybe we have stolen from work. Maybe we have shown up to work drunk. Maybe we have neglected our children. Maybe we have estranged our relatives. Maybe we have pushed everyone that cares about us completely away. Write it down. And then we're going to own our part in it. That's the biggest part of all of this. This is not a list of grievances. This is not a list of everybody that I hate. This is not a list of all the things that the amends that people owe me. This is about me. This is about the things that I've done. These are about the resentments that I hold. These are the things that I am fearful of. This is the sexual misfunction that I've had in my life. This is the harm that I have done to other people. And so I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to look at it. And, and here's the thing, too. It's not, this is not a one-afternoon exercise, okay? Because things will come to you. 
And that's why it's best to give yourself some time. I, I, I mean, I would say even if it takes 30 days, because we're going to be searching with this inventory. And you're going to be amazed at the stuff that you, you're going to think, oh, my gosh, I forgot when I was 16 years old, you know, we stole that six-pack of beer from that convenience store. You're going to be amazed at the stuff that comes back. And that's going to be your higher power guiding you through this process. It's like all these little pitfalls and resentments and these fear things and these other little things that we did. That stuff's going to bubble up to the surface because we've gotten those things that we're comfortable with people seeing out of the way. Because that's what we leave up on top, right? You know, it's, it's a pain that we're used to. So we let people see that. It's like, oh, well, you guys already know that I had all these problems. So we just kind of let that float around the surface. Well, once we get that out of there and the things that we really don't want to talk about begin to bubble up, that's your higher power. That's your higher power helping you clean out the trash can, clean out the closet. So we're going to write it down. Now, one of the things I think is important, too, in the moments we have left, is we're not going to rationalize this behavior. We're not going to sit back and say, well, I was justified in my actions. No, no. That's not this exercise. That's not a behavior that we can exhibit any longer. We're not going to sit here and rationalize my behaviors. Well, yeah, I hurt this person, but they hurt me first. No, that, 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 two wrongs don't make a right. That, that didn't excuse your negative behavior. That's one of the biggest problems in, in America today is that you know, we always find a way to kind of excuse our own negative behavior. Well, yeah, I did this, but. No, there's no but. Because basically what you're saying is everything I said before the but doesn't matter. What I really say after the but is what I really think. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I went out and I cheated on you, but you did it first. That's the rationalization of that behavior. Does that make our behavior any less abhorrent? Does it make it any less harmful to ourselves and to our souls and to our sobriety? Of course not. The second thing we're not going to do is we're not going to blame anybody else. We're not going to sit here and say, well, you know, these things happened and you made me do this. You know, if you had done this and you had done that, I would not have reacted the way that I did. No, you had a choice and you chose to do this. You chose to sleep with this person. You chose to steal this. You chose to cut corners here. You chose to be spiritually unfit. Those are decisions that we make. It wasn't like we were just along for the ride. We weren't robots. We made a decision. We're human beings. We're adults. We have a mind. We have a soul. We have a spirit. We have the ability to have a conscience. We just didn't utilize it. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to own our stuff. We're going to have complete accountability for the things that we did. And it's not to say that, you know, we're ready to go make amends for that. Because that's one of the things a lot of people, when they get to their fourth step, they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot I did this. I got to go apologize. Not yet. We're not, we're not there yet. We're not ready to work that part of the process yet. We're still digging through our fourth step. We're still digging through this deal here. And let's do things one step at a time. Let's complete the moral inventory before we get ready to go make amends. Can't put the cart before the horse. Because your higher power is going to reveal some things to you you'd forgotten. Going to reveal some other things out there that perhaps maybe, maybe now that you're on the business side of step two, now that you've been restored to sanity, maybe you view some things in a different light. Because before you said, you know what, I was justified in my actions. Now all of a sudden we're sober, we're thinking, you know what, I was wrong when I did that. That was wrong of me. And now I'm ready to own that. Now I'm ready to say, you know what, that relationship failed. 
And, you know, maybe the other person had some dysfunction in their life, too. And chances are, if they're in a relationship with us, they do have some dysfunction in their life. We say, you know what? But here's my, here's my fault in all that. Here's my part in it. Here's where I was wrong. Here's where I was at fault. We're going to conduct this inventory like it is in an autopsy of our life. Basically, we're trying to find out the cause of death. Because the old person is dead. That person will never live again. The person that we once were will no longer exist. Good, bad, or indifferent. If you go back out and relapse, you're going to be a worse person than you were before, right? You're going to exhibit more negative behavior. Or you're going to get better. But you're not going to stay the same person. It's impossible. That person's dead. So let's conduct the autopsy and find out why they died. You can be reborn, but we're going to do this no matter how painful that it is. Because the things you hang on to hang on to you. And so you know what, Steve? I'm ready to be honest about this, this, and that, but I'm not ready to talk about the things that I did sexually. And you know what? They're going to continue to haunt you. If you don't talk about them, you give them power. The things that we hold deep within ourselves, the things that we're so afraid and so ashamed of, if we hang on to those things, they will continue to weigh us down. You know, it's easy to make amends for, you know what, one time I, you know, I was a little bit rude to you one day. Okay, that's easy. But you know what? One day I went in your purse and I stole 500 hours and you couldn't pay your rent and I used that money to go buy drugs. That's a difficult deal. And maybe we're not ready to admit we did that. Maybe we're not. That's where this four step comes in. You have to be. And that's why it becomes a stumbling block for a lot of people. So you know what? I'm just not ready to go there. Listen, uh, there is no time. There is no better time. There is no vacation we can take. We have to do it now. If we truly want to recover, if we want to transform from being dry to being sober, this is where the rubber meets the road with the four-step. We talk about working a program of rigorous honesty. This is where that comes in. Being honest with ourselves about our shortcomings and our misdeeds and our mistakes and our resentments and our fears and our sexual dysfunction and all the negative things that we've done to other people. And so this is about us. It's not about anybody else. We're not going to take somebody else's inventory. And I would be an expert at that, right? And shouldn't we, wouldn't we all? Listen, well, yeah, I'll do this one, but let me, let me tell you about what my mom did or my husband did or whatever. Okay, listen, that's not the program we're working here today. This is about self-reliance. This is about self-awareness. And this is about survival. And it's, to be honest with you, I kind of misspoke there. It's not even about survival. It's about overcoming. There's a couple of different people out there. You know, there's some people that say, you know what? I'm going to hang on and I'm going to live through this. And there are other people that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to go out there and stand in the eye of the hurricane, and I'm going to go out there and help other people, and I'm going to stand strong, and I'm going to protect my life, my family, whatever. And those people are going to be overcomers. There are some people that simply live through things, and there are other people that overcome things. Let us choose to be overcomers rather than survivors. Because we can get through life being dry. 
Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad life, I guess. I mean, it's better than the alternative in many respects. We can say, okay, well, listen, I'm just not going to drink anymore. And you could probably be okay. You could probably have a decent life. But why not have an extraordinary life? Why do the bare minimum? And that's where this four-step comes in. You know, for those of the people that want to do the bare minimum, they never do a four-step. And they never take the next step in their recovery. They never reach the happy, joyous, and free stage. They never learn to live without fear. Because they've never addressed their character defects. They just simply stop drinking. And the chances of relapse are very, very high. Because the same triggers you've always had, you still have, and you still haven't dealt with them. You're just not drinking. And so if you really want to be sober, you have got to do this four-step, and you have got to be brutally honest with yourself. And again, we're going to write this thing up as if nobody is ever going to see it. Because nobody will ever see it. If we follow the program correctly, then nobody's going to see it but us. But you have to attack this with an absolute reckless abandon for the truth. Because you're trying to save your own life here. And say, well, you know, Steve, I printed out the worksheets and it just didn't do much for me. Well, then you hadn't worked on it long enough. Get into a conscious contact with your higher power and approach this thing. Set aside some time. And there are going to be things that will pop up when you're driving or when you're at work one day and say, you know what, i got to deal with this. And then deal with it. When we get together next time, we're going to talk about step five. And once we complete step five, we're going to burn this, the fourth step. And I'm going to encourage you to burn the fourth step. And you got to do it after step five because your fourth step is part of step five. Everything we do is kind of a stair step to the next step, right? But so once we complete the fifth step, we're going to burn this thing. And I believe in having a ceremonial burning. I don't believe in letting your significant other read your fourth step. I don't believe that. There's some things they don't need to know about you, to be honest with you. They don't. People may look at you differently. So I encourage you, do not show them. Don't show them to your children. Don't show them to your parents. It is for you. I know some people want to go show it to people like it's a badge of honor. That, that's vanity and ego. That's grandiosity. We're going to be searching and fearless in this inventory, and we're going to put our deepest and darkest fears, resentments, and everything else on paper. You will likely never feel more vulnerable in your life until you burn that thing. But I believe in a ceremonial burning because I believe we are basically destroying not only the evidence of that life, but we're destroying all of those memories too. And so I believe in going out there. Listen, I'm a very spiritual person. You know, I may not share your religious beliefs, but I'm a very spiritual person. That's one of the reasons that I have dreadlocks, not just because I think they're cool. It's, it's one of those things that I've learned in time, but, you know, it's just... Um, you know, there is something greater than myself that I have a lot of faith in. And so I believe that with this ceremonial burning, I believe that there is a spiritual awakening that accompanies that. I think as you stand there alone, I know some people get their family around and stuff. I think that's a distraction. You get out there and you build yourself a fire. And what I like to do is, you know, you, you have the, the fire and, you, and say a prayer to your higher power and thank them for the fact that you're not the same person you used to be and then say you know what God Buddha Allah whoever Holy Krishna whatever whoever you worship so you know what I'm going to give all of this to you 
And the good book tells us, the Bible tells us, is that when, you know, when God forgives us, that he cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And they are then as far as the east is from the west. It is gone completely. And so by burning these, I think that is kind of the manifestation of that promise. But it is something that we do to ourselves. I'm going to burn these things because that person no longer exists. I am, I am burning all of this because I am letting this crap go. This stuff will no longer take up rent in, in, uh, space in my head rent-free. I am no longer going to allow these things to slow me down. I am not going to allow them to make me unhappy. And you make a real commitment to yourself at that point to be a new person. And I can promise you, if you have done this thing correctly, and you mean that with all of the earnestness to your command, you will be a different person. There will be a transformation like you have never seen. There is just something very mystical and spiritual about every bit of that. I, I, I get chills talking about it because I remember when I did it, and I remember it. I felt completely different because I had done the four step to the point that it brought me to tears several times, and I was so incredibly ashamed of myself. I said, I can't believe I did this. But you know what? At some point, I was able to make amends for that, except when to do so would injure them or others, and we'll get to that much later. It'll be a different, different show. You'll get a chance to make those apologies. And you want to talk about changing your life and changing the way you feel about yourself. When you get through that stage of this process, all of a sudden you're going to realize, too, that all this stuff that I've been dragging around, most of it, I was the only person still feeling it. That's not to say that you don't have some real amends to make and some real consequences to face. But this is kind of the first step towards that. This is the first step towards that freedom. So before we can make amends for it, we've got to acknowledge what it is. We have to take an inventory of it. So if you have questions, reach out to me on social media. I'm always happy to talk. I prefer that you do it by private message rather than on a post on my page because I want to be able to speak honestly and frankly with you. And so I don't know your level of anonymity. And so I, just, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to interact with you that way. It doesn't, doesn't mean that I don't love you. I just want to protect your privacy. And so if you do have questions, please message me on social media, uh, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I, you know, I, I'm very easy to find. Uh, I'm on at Scout Steve R at all forms of social media. But this four step is really the business end of this. This is where things get a lot more serious. We have basically laid the foundation in steps one, two, and three to bring us to a point that we're going to kind of acknowledge where we are as people and take an inventory of where we are and then create a new person, if that makes sense to you. This is the business end of it. Everything else has been leading up to the four step. And so once you get through this, and I'm telling you, there's so many people out there that they, they trip their way through this because they don't give it a good effort. You owe it to yourself to give a good effort. And some will say, well, you know, oh, it's my family, and that's true to a lesser extent. But if you lost them tomorrow, you're still going to have you. You are worth it. You are worth the trouble. This is about saving you so you can give you to them. That's going to do it for today. I want you to let you guys know I, I, your feedback about this show has been so incredible to me. I, I, I can't begin to share with you uh, what your support means. And, again, I never did all this for money. I know, they, I know they started putting some ads on the show, and, listen, that wasn't my decision. Uh, but I just want to share with you guys that uh, I've had so many people that have reached out and said, you know what, Steve, this has really helped me. I never had anybody break it down and explain it. It's very humbling to me. 
But that's why I did the show. There are a lot of people out there that are never going to set foot in an AA meeting, whether it be through a quarantine or through shame or through scheduling or just whatever. They're, just, they're going to have difficulty getting to a meeting. And so I wanted to make these my thoughts on these steps, and I've gotten near 30 years of recovery, so I feel like that I can speak with some level of, of authority on these topics. But I wanted to kind of share it in layman's terms. It's easy to go in there and get intimidated in a meeting. It is. But I do encourage you to go. You know, let's, let's not, you know, you know, forsake the assembly, shall I say. But when you can't get to a meeting, or perhaps you don't have a sponsor yet, I'm encouraged you to get one. And so, you know what, I need somebody to kind of guide me through this thing. My hope is that these podcasts will help you with that. And uh, I had a friend reach out to me today. I said, you know what, their friend has got a, a son that's in treatment now, and they've shared the shows with them, and it's exactly what they needed. And uh, that means more to me than I can ever express. Because when I was in treatment, I didn't have anybody. There was no, there's no show to listen to. You know, we had to kind of do it the old school way. And so I think with the, the gift of technology, we can kind of share with each other. We can share it with each other. I mean, we're in this thing together. That's what everybody forgets. You're never alone. The disease tells you that you're alone. And then maybe even some people around you would say, you know, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go to, you don't need, they don't know. They don't know our struggle. They also don't know our solution. And so I'm encourage you again, work the steps with everything you have because your life depends on it. But no matter where you are, no matter who you are, and no matter what you're going through, you're never alone because I'm right there with you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.